Our emotions are designed, they're designed to inform us, not to direct us. There is no number you're ever going to get to that is going to heal whatever is going on inside of you. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. Oftentimes, anger is simply sadness masked. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the Imperfect Experience. Hello, Imperfect Pod listeners. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, my guest is Johnny Crowder, and we talk about mental health in men, breaking masculine stereotypes, how he defines manhood and masculinity, and more. Johnny is a 28-year-old suicide and abuse survivor, TEDx speaker, touring musician, mental health and sobriety advocate, and the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, a text-based mental health platform that provides daily support to users in nearly 100 countries across the globe. With 10 years of clinical treatment, a psychology degree from UCF, and a full decade of peer support and advocacy through the National Alliance on Mental Illness under his belt, Johnny's youthful vigor for the topic of mental health is unmatched. Whether speaking at events, or touring with his band Prison, Johnny's infectious positivity and firsthand experience with mental illness ranging from bipolar disorder and OCD to schizophrenia uniquely equip him to provide realistic yet hopeful insight into the pains of hardship with authenticity, levity, and wit. You can watch Johnny's powerful TED Talk in the description below and email him directly at johnny at copenotes.com. If you are interested in trying out Copenotes, I am happy that I've come up with an affiliate link uh, and you can head to that link in the description and use the code imperfect to, for 10% off of any subscription for life. It's not just for a month, it's for life and that's code imperfect. Also, as it's currently November and a month about men's mental health, you can find a link to my friend Gautham's November fundraiser in the link uh, in the description as well uh, below. As always, if you like this episode, make sure to press subscribe, follow, leave a review, and message me on Instagram at the Imperfect Pod. Hello, Imperfect listeners! Welcome back to the show. I'm very excited by this uh, today's guest, Johnny Crowder. Johnny, say hello. Howdy. Um, and I'm really excited about him because he's got a really cool business about mental health and how to how you know small tangible things can overcome those on a day-to-day basis but before we get into that johnny and your story um who is one person dead or alive that you like to have over for dinner and what would you cook for them i would well i gotta say jesus i have so many questions um (laughs) definitely hanging out with jesus and i'm kind of like what do you what do you cook for jesus right like he's probably had everything He's like, he's probably pretty hard to impress. So I would say I would probably make, uh, yesterday I made veggie burgers for myself Mm. and my sister, uh, like spicy black bean burgers. And I would probably do that because they were pretty good. And I feel like because Jesus has probably had everything, I shouldn't try to make him something real crazy. So I'll just make the last thing that I had that was really good. Well, and it's probably vegan food probably wasn't around in the time that uh, he was here. I'm pretty sure they they ate a lot of meat back then. Or did they not eat meat? I That's one of the questions that I'll ask him at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, they definitely didn't eat pork from what I remember. Or is that just in the Old Testament? It's really difficult to keep track. That is. It is true. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't go with the, the fish and bread route. You know, I feel like he might be fish and breaded out. 
yeah. <laughs> want some kind of a change. That's true. Who knows? No, definitely. What would you want to? So, in terms of the questions you have for him, like list a few. What What are some big ones? Um, do you like death metal? Um, who's your favorite basketball player? <laughs> no, I don't nice. know. Probably, probably. I think when you sit down with someone who you have a million questions for, you kind of go blank. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's such a long list, but I would probably start asking about, uh, you know, tell me, start telling me about stuff that wasn't in the Bible. Like you got to think mm-hmm. about it. The, the, the story of Jesus's life, there's, there's 30 years missing, yeah. you know, they're only there. You only really read about like three years of ministry. So I want to be like, bro, tell, I would interview him. Tell me about the all the stuff that didn't make it to the final cut of the new testament <laughs> did you ever date a girl jesus and and try to court her and, and build a relationship for marriage <laughs> did that ever happen <laughs> or like was it ever tempting to to maybe work miracles in ways that you know might not have been you know you're playing soccer and you kick a ball and it's totally not going in and you like you know you avatar it in or something i don't know <laughs> That's how Airbender or Bend It like Beckham started, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesus is like, crap, now that I've done this, I have to make every single person who gets good at soccer be able to bend it like <laughs> I just did. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. No, I'd pro- I'm sure there would be a lot of serious conversation, but probably the, the real honest question wouldn't even be a question. It would just be me opening my ears and be like, tell me what I, what I don't understand. Mm. Yeah. And where, with what you don't understand, where would you start? Would you start with your passion of mental health or would you start in another oh, I area? Wouldn't, I wouldn't start with me at all. What's, mm. What is the point of asking about myself? It's the, it, you know, ostensibly it's a son of God. So what kind of person sits down with the son of God and asks that person about their own life? Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, he son would know the God about the your universe. life. Who... I don't know. I like I'm curious about myself for sure, but I, I can't imagine sitting down with Jesus and asking questions about me. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> very, very humble. <laughs> well, I mean I think think, about I think the it. first question would be about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it'd be different in person, but it's like, you know, if you could learn anything about anything ever, like space or dinosaurs or society or the future or whatever, and you're like how come I didn't get into that college I wanted to get into? God would be like, what? <laughs> Are you really like, thinking about that right now? <laughs> yeah. He's I guess like, so. there's other things on my plate. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm trying to stop World War III potentially from happening. Yeah. So let's go. Um, but no, let's. I love that answer. Uh, it's, it is very hard to think about those questions that you'd want to ask that person, that dream person, because it's, it's, you know, I have many dream people that I want to sit down with, but each time I'm like, how do I make it? So it's not about what I want to find out. I'm still offering value to them rather than just it being about me. So yeah. I totally get that. Um, and so getting more into your story, uh, you are the founder of Cope Notes. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that and then we can get more into your story? Yeah. So uh, for people who haven't heard of it, it is a digital mental health platform. Basically, we use daily text messages to improve mental and emotional health. And I started it uh, almost three years ago. I used to work at an ad agency and I quit my job to run this full time a few years back. And it has been extremely difficult. I've learned a ton along the way. And um, the, the one thing that I always say, like you can go to our website and read about it if you want to. Um, I don't want to walk 
people through Mm -hmm. every intricate detail of it. But what I can say is that it is a tool that you don't have to remember to use. It's there every day for you. And it's not just for people who are living with a diagnosis. So if someone's listening to this and thinks, well, this would be good for my sister or man, my colleague really needs this. No, I built this for those people, but also for you too. If you have a brain, this is a mental health tool, like a low, like a low commitment, passive, non-invasive tool that you can use every day to just take better care of your brain. Yeah. And it, it seems more like a, of a triggering of, you know, you take to stay with gratitude or take this day if you are feeling anxious. Cause you know, as someone who doesn't have a diagnosis myself, I love those positive messages. And I know that it kind of all started with you sending positive messages to your friends and seeing that feedback. And I've been, I've done that before too, where it's like, I just, there's been days I'm just like super grateful for all my friends. I send them a message and the amount of love I receive back. I'm like, I, this wasn't my goal. I just wanted to love onto you. And, and it's very interesting how that all, feeds back in very positive ways and it just triggers this feeling of gratitude or you know that someone's there with you and and protection almost dude i always think like everyone's gotten a text at the right time like the right text at the right time i don't care who you are at some point in your life you have received a text where it's like is this person spying on me like how did they know i needed to hear this or you drive by a a billboard and it says something and you're like, whoa, I really needed to hear that. Or, or a song comes on the radio and you're like, wow, it's speaking to me. Like these things happen in our lives. It's not it's not like pseudoscience. I mean, we've mm-hmm. all experienced this. And this is I think Cope Notes is just a highly targeted way of increasing the likelihood of that happening over time. So that really the ultimate goal is for for you to train your brain to start thinking in those healthier patterns with or without that external stimulus. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a fantastic, fantastic goal. Have you seen kind of a rise in subscribers during COVID? Has that been a really difficult time for a lot of people and, and you're seeing a lot of benefit there or it was, I'm curious about that. It was really, it, this year threw me for a loop for sure. Um, because when COVID hit, when all that stuff started, um, we lost a lot of subscribers. Like there was a, mm-hmm. there, everybody just froze their accounts. We got all these mm-hmm. emails saying, Hey, um, I don't want to spend money right now. I don't know what's happening with the economy. So we had from down from individual people signing up to these large organizations and companies that we work with putting their accounts on hold. And it created this, I mean, I thought we were going to close this year. Mm. Um, and I was like, Oh, good thing. I just, you know, spent every single penny an hour that I've ever had building something that's going to collapse the moment the world collapses. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a really challenging few months, but we started um, seeing a lot of those people come back and bring friends because they, I think there was this realization where, you know how when a school loses funding, the first thing to go is like art and music, like Mm -hmm. culture. (laughs) Um, Yes. I think when something like this happens economically, a lot of people think, well, let's cut what isn't important and mental health isn't important. So let's just remove that. And it's, you got to talk like a subscription is like eight bucks a month, 10 bucks a month or whatever. And these people are like, well, let me just make sure that I'm cutting the $8 a month expense here because it's probably not doing anything for me. And then a few months later, these people are coming back and saying, wow, I do want this and it's worth however that that nominal amount comparatively 
Um, and I want to bring friends too. So we saw a huge dip where I actually thought the company was going to file for bankruptcy. Like this was just the end for us. And now we're seeing it kind of change where there's, I think the narrative around mental health is changing. So I'm, I'm praying that that continues because in January of this year, mental health was not a priority for 99% of Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now, mental health is not a priority for 94% of Americans. So if you think about it, that's a huge, that's like a 500% jump or whatever. So we are seeing, I think what we're seeing more than anything is a heightened level of value associated with investing in yourself. Because when things around you disappear, like, oh, I can't play basketball. I can't go to the gym. I can't go to concerts. What's left to invest in yourself. That's the only Mm -hmm. thing that you still have, you know? Yeah. No, I I totally relate because at the beginning of COVID, it was a really hard time for me. Like I had never been more lonely than in the past while because you know I was in the office. I was kind of that that office guy that was someone that talked to everyone. I enjoyed their presence, and then all of that sudden that stopped. And I, my my friends are really highly responsible, so they would they didn't even want to see anyone. And I'm like, well, this is not working for me. I was cooped up in this very room that you're seeing behind you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lonely. I didn't see anyone for over like five, six weeks, I think, from being seeing everyone, someone every day. Yeah. And, and that was hard. And as much as society talks about mental health being a priority and self-care, I mean, these corporations, right, as soon as they, they don't really see it as a financial necessity and maybe it's not, but I would say for, for me, I'd never felt lower and more lonely than at that beginning. Dude, it's so this is exactly what I'm trying to change. Cause think about it. You work for somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Every, everybody works for somebody. Even if you run a business, you work for your clients or something. So everyone's working for somebody. And if you're a person who's being impacted by uh, anxiety or depression or loneliness or grief or stress or whatever it is that's affecting your work and it is affecting the bottom line like uh, there was a study done it was either the the WHO or the CDC I can't remember <clears throat> but they did this study where they were trying to measure the ROI on investing in preventative health measures and they found mm. that there was a 400% ROI so if for every dollar you invest in that preventative health measure there's a $4 ROI in increased productivity, um, reduced turnover, increased attendance, all that stuff. And when I talk to these people who run businesses, these leaders, and I say, you know, we want to help you with your workplace wellness. And they say, well, you know, we don't really, we can't really justify the expense. And I'm like, okay, let's think about it. You have a thousand employees. You spent $10,000 on lunch last Friday. Tell me about the ROI that soggy pizza had tell me about how that affected your bottom line versus Mm -hmm. investing that same 10 grand into sewing into the mental and emotional health of your employees whether they're at work at home they're doing extracurriculars or whatever and it's really it can sometimes be a challenge to tell people like your brain is not a an add-on it's not an option to your body Mm. like it is inside of your body and it controls your body it's like it's like saying that the engine is like an option for a car it's like no like i don't i don't care what how cool your car looks if the engine isn't in good shape you can't take it anywhere no and that's so true like 
I think about culture when it comes to the workplace as, you know, what are they doing to retain me? And, and lunches, as much as they're, they're interesting and they're like, I can make my own lunch a lot of the time. And I do like soggy, even bad pizza is good pizza sometimes. So I don't mean yes. to throw shade at pizza. I just want to put that out no. there. <laughs> What's your favorite pizza company? Do you have one? Uh, Jets Pizza. Is, is that like specific to Florida? No, it's in Michigan, I believe. And then they kind of migrated down here. And there's it's okay. a chain, but it's not huge. But they have these uh, square pizzas, or they're like rectangles. And they're okay. kind of deep dishy. And dude, don't get me started. We're going to talk for 50 minutes about pizza. Just if you haven't had Jets Pizza, look it up. If there's one near you, go get the eight corner barbecue chicken pizza. You can thank me via email. Eight corner. How does it? A- yeah, it's just two four corner pizzas <laughs> in the same box. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, it has to be a double pizza, otherwise I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to have eight, eight corners. Eight corner square pizza. Picture that. <laughs> a hexagon. Um, uh, but yeah, let's. I want to dig into your brain a little bit here. Like, you know, we this this podcast is obviously about masculinity and manhood and. And you're someone who is tatted up. And I know that sometimes that even time, I know people might laugh and think that that's not a men's thing or, mm-hmm. or anything like that, but it, it can be. Um, and I also want to talk about your, you know, how you were raised with, uh, was it how many brothers? Was it well, just one brother or was it a couple? I had a, a younger brother and an older brother. So okay. I have middle child syndrome formally okay. diagnosed. <laughs> Oh, really? No. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a thing. I should look it up. I don't know if that's a thing either, but in all the TV shows, it was. Consult WebMD about it. Yeah. And, and so I know based off an, uh, of a prior conversation that growing up, you weren't as much uh, into sports and things of, of maybe the more masculine nature. Um, and that is kind of a battle that you faced. And, and why don't you kind of dig a little bit more into, into that? Well, I want, I don't want to make it sound like I just decided to, like, I'm going to zig when everyone else zags or whatever. Yeah. I I wanted to like football. I wanted to like baseball. I was trying so hard Mm. to like sports and like, you know, my brothers are like, my brothers are kind of like trucks and good beer and wings and watch the fight tonight. And, you know, like very, you know, very traditionally masculine men and I just for whatever reason from from the start of my life I was like I loved music I loved theater and acting and comedy I loved art like drawing and painting and design and it, like interior decoration and uh, all things creative just fascinated me and it was definitely I was trying to fit a mold that I could never fit in for years. And as a result, I was miserable. Like I, mm-hmm. bro, as someone who didn't really care about sports, I played sports for almost my entire childhood. Like I was in soccer for five-ish years, I think. Miserable. Couldn't stand it. I, I used to get so mad and so angry. I was like hyper competitive. And I think it was because I didn't actually enjoy playing the game. So it was yeah. all about winning. I couldn't just enjoy playing. And no, I played baseball for a few years. I played football for a few years. Um, and I tried like hockey and, you know, I tried pretty much. I kept plugging away trying to find the guy thing that I would like. Mm-hmm. And I just never really found it. I would like go home and 
sit down with my guitar or start drawing cartoons or something. And I just felt so much happier in three minutes doing that than I did in years and years of trying to fit into the, um, the traditional male mold. Yeah. And I always find it really interesting that when I have these conversations, a lot of times people will tell me, you know, liking photography and art isn't a, uh, isn't like a a feminine thing, but it's like, well, why do so many young men not go into theater out of fear that they're going to be judged because of that. Like if I look back at my high school days, I was really interested in theater, but I never did it because I'm like, well, it doesn't, I wanted to go into engineering. So I didn't have like the, <laughs> the, the space on my calendar to yeah. do it. Now I'm, now I'm not an engineer at all. I actually looked, I was looking at my report cards the other day and you know, I had like a 59 in chemistry and a 62 in physics. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even, I don't know how I thought I was going to go into engineering with those marks. Um, but I, I do like sports, but I, I not at all into trucks, not at all into beer. And I don't think people realize how many men don't like beer. They just like it out of the fact that we're supposed to like it. Yeah. It's definitely my, uh, my sister and I joke a lot about, um, like good, good beers, good brews, good buds, like that classic, like Budweiser commercial where it's a bunch of guys like tossing around the pigskin and like it's just a and i have i do have friends like that and i adore them and i i see them often but i just i know that like when we hang out and they're drinking beers eating wings playing video games talking about sports like i am the comedic relief because i'm like this is all i can contribute to this entire situation (laughs) yeah and it's like uh, some guys will will always defend their beer with like oh you haven't found the right one or it's an acquired taste and i'm just like man give me a bottle of wine and i'm good (laughs) i'll just drink the bottle of wine and some ciders or something else but dude yeah have you seen the uh on that show scrubs i think the the main guy jd orders an apple teeny and it's like his favorite drink and everyone gives him crap about it if i'm remembering correctly i haven't seen it but i've seen that kind of like seen in other TV shows. Yeah. And I've had that before too, where it's like, I'll order a, like a Shirley temple and, and the people will just look at me like, that's not a masculine drink. I'm like, but it's delicious as hell. And I enjoy it. Like I don't enjoy feeling the bloated burpy feeling after having some beer. So Dude, I'd rather have this. It's, it's making me think. Um, so, so if I drank alcohol, which I do not, I would totally have the fruitiest most fun drinks ever yeah put a pineapple in it put a little umbrella like serve it in a coconut or something like i'm down and my my bassist actually is sober too and uh, when we're on tour he will go up and order a shirley temple which i believe is just uh sprite and grenadine yeah and vodka okay when it's like when it's uh non so he'll he'll order a virgin shirley temple and he's you got an understand my basis is 300 pounds eight feet tall like this covered in his whole face is covered in tattoos neck hands everything he is a he's a construction worker he is the most he's one of the most masculine people i've ever met in my life and he's like yeah let me get a a virgin shirley temple and they look at him and he's like you got a problem (laughs) they're like no sir no sir let me get your drink oh that's so funny Is, is your band a death metal band uh, we, we, so my old band was like a black and death metal band called dark sermon. And I was in that for about eight years and we were signed and touring. And then, uh, the band that I'm in now, uh, my old band kind of, uh, when we fulfilled our contract with our record label, everyone just kind of was like, 
I want to have a girlfriend and an apartment and not be on tour eight months out of the year. And I understand that. So yeah. I still wanted to do music. So I started a band um, in like 2014, 2015 called Prison. And that's the band I'm in now. And that's more like uh, like alternative new metal kind of stuff. So it's definitely a lot okay. more uh, listener friendly than my old band. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And and even talking about metal music, I mean, a lot of metal culture from what I've seen, I don't listen to metal music, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of what I've seen is it seems to question the very sense of what masculine is while also looking to be exactly what masculine is. Like you you talked about this guy being eight feet, 300 pounds construction worker, yeah. but at the same time, like do you guys put on makeup and like finger, like nail polish and really like tight jeans, like even th- those things yeah. always seem to like counterculture each other. Yeah, it's interesting. We will tour with some bands who have like, you know, my old band, for example, I would wear the the Doc Martin boots, the the black behemoth vest with all, you know, and pentagrams all over our stuff. And it was real like, you got to be brutal and heavy. And my new band, uh, it's so nice to just, you know, I wear floral print leggings on stage and fingerless gloves and paint my nails and dye my hair pink and i'm just dancing around on stage and we do that on purpose because you got to think people so people wind up at a metal show most often this isn't true of everybody but most people wind up at a metal show because you they were kicked out of all the other lunch tables basically you can't sit with the jocks you can't sit with the nerds so eventually you find your way to a metal show and it's like the the island of misfit toys kind of thing it's all these different mm-hmm. people who couldn't sit anywhere else and the reason we wind up in the metal subculture is because we didn't fit a mold but then over time metal has created its own mold where you have to wear black and you have to be brutal and it's like wait a second we're just creating another table that some people can't sit at like mm. we are buying into the system that kicked us to the side in the first place so Prison is very conscious. Oh, also, prison is the name of my band. I'm not talking about actual jail. Uh, I always have to clarify that. But prison is very conscious about how we portray ourselves on stage and making sure that people don't feel like they have to fit the metal mold. So you Mm. can love heavy music. And we had uh, we had our photographer was wearing um like fishnet stockings we've torn we've toured with people who've worn dresses on stage and stuff and it's just to show people in the audience like you can do whatever you want you don't have to fit you know Mm. and and it's just like a culture of misfits as as you mentioned because if i look back at everyone that i talked to in high school or knew in high school that was kind of a misfit they wore the black cloaks or or like long I'm forgetting what the name of the coat, but like those, they wore some of the chains and other things and they, they sat in the stair stairwells because the, the cafeteria wasn't friendly to them. People would stare. They yeah. played magic. They played like oh, a lot yeah. of things. And I look back at that time My and I'm like, I wish- magic. <laughs> <laughs> you're just calling him out right now. Trip pants. And Oh yeah. <laughs> I look back at that and I'm like, I wish I got to know them a bit more because I respected looking back how much they were themselves like they seem like the only people that were themselves in high school Amen. and and weren't caring about the judgment of other people um and then that's kind of how i reflect on high schools that i appreciate those people much more than i did when i was there dude that's all we want like 
you know, we'll go to a show and uh, the bands that we're on tour with will make fun of us because pretty much every band we we tour with is like a, a little more traditional than us in one sense or another. So they'll see uh, kids in line. One kid is like wearing a school uniform and uh, one kid is like wearing, I say kid, but like person. Um, yeah. Like one person is wearing a school uniform. One person is wearing like their scrubs from work. One person is wearing their uh, Chipotle shirt because they came straight from work. And all the all the other bands are like, all these guys are here for prison because they're yeah. not even, it doesn't even register to them that they should be dressing in some certain way or like that they should have their hair dyed or have piercings or tattoos. It's like the more that we invite people in as they are, like you don't have to go home and put your metal shirt on. You don't have to get your ears pierced or wear some chains or whatever. Just come to the freaking show and jam and hang out with us. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's funny how things of that nature get like, you know, we, we, we kind of discussed words and how they they carry characteristics, even though they don't carry genders. Like, you know, the word metal has this terminology where it's like, yeah, wear all black. You have to be kind of emo and have tattoos and, and that nature. Um, when there's words that are clearly gendered, like he and her, or, or like, you know, those, just those things. But we talked about you wearing nail polish, uh, nail polish in itself is not a gendered word, but we know that women often wear it or it's marketed toward yeah. women. And I just find all that fascinating. I, you know, I'm kind of, I've never really felt super masculine. Like I've always sat, for example, I've always sat with my legs crossed. I've always worn women's jeans. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I have been considered fairly effeminate from childhood. And it's interesting how I can be considered effeminate because I sit with my legs crossed or because some people say that the way that I speak is feminine. And I always just wonder like, how did we get to a point where and I don't mind the observations like I'm not offended by any mm -hmm. of it I understand that certain behaviors are more common on one side or the other but I just think it's interesting that we have gotten to a place culturally where you know so my sister I'm not blood related to her but her family is Italian and those like words I believe in yeah I believe in Italian there's like gendered words mm -hmm. um like it ends with an A or ends with an O, that type of thing. Like in French, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I question that. And I look I look at it as an American and think, well, we don't, you know, I don't I don't say table as a noun and give it a gender. So we're so forward thinking. And then but I think like, you know, if I say theater, people are like, Oh. Like theater is feminine or like interior design or interior decoration that's feminine or football mm -hmm. is somehow masculine it's like my mom cares more about football than probably anybody you know and my mom it's interesting how being physically fit has been considered a male trait like my mm -hmm. mom does so she's been doing taekwondo for years she's a third degree black belt in taekwondo um wow. she can do 100 push-ups in a minute which i wouldn't believe if i hadn't seen it with my own eyes um, Holy crap. <laughs> she's like an actual superhuman. And I even think like, why is it that astonishing that a woman can do a lot of push-ups or that a woman is a black belt in Taekwondo? Like if I said that a man was a black belt in Taekwondo, you go cool. But if a woman is a black belt in Taekwondo, you're like, whoa. And I'm not saying that 
I feel any type of way about those responses. I understand that they're based on like percentages, like it is less common um, statistically, but even still, I'm just wondering like, why, why do I culturally respond like that? You know, Mm. there's something in me that's so used to uh, phrases like the man of the house or where's the pants or the breadwinner and stuff like that. Just because, We've grown up hearing it and you have to be conscious about trying to break that mold. And if you're a guy that has long hair like I did or, you know, there was this one time where I I was dating this girl. I had hair three quarters of the way down my back. It was super long. Wow. And I was dating a girl who had a shaved head and people were just perplexed by it. And I understand why, but I think it is important to, to consciously challenge those things and be like, Am I being 100% who I want to be or am I being 40% of who I want to be and 100% of the man that I can be? And I'm mm. being limited by that man ceiling where if I wasn't worried about that, then there's 60% of potential energy in me that I'm not using that's being limited by that. It, it is true how much we reflect on ourselves. I'm like, am I being the man that society wants me to be versus the man that I am? And that that is a huge piece of the puzzle when it comes to confidence. Because I think, you know, from what I've seen is that a lot of these men that want to get coached on masculinity, they're looking to enhance or, or find kind of passions that are outside of their normal. Um, whether that's like, you know, hunting is a typically masculine thing. And so a lot of people, when they go on these masculine journeys or masculine trips or masculine camps, they'll like shoot guns and, and potentially go hunting because that puts them in front of like this, this apparently this tribal experience. And I'm like, what if that guy just like I, I would try it, but uh, to me, I wouldn't come home being like, yeah, now I'm going to go hunt every weekend. It's going to become a, a part of my life. Like I just try it to try it, yeah. not because I, I don't feel like that is the man that I'm supposed to be or am. I th- When I think of a man and everyone has their own picture, whether they say, you know, for a long time, I was like, oh, I don't really identify like I'm, I don't even see a man or woman. It's like, yes, you do. Like you see to some extent you have an idea of what a man and a woman are. And mm-hmm. I think my idea of the man that I want to be is more based on confidence than any sort of um, actual activity or, you know, it's, it has more to do with personality traits than it has to do with um, any, any things that are traditionally associated with being a man. Like we've talked about football and beer and trucks. And it's like, when I think of a man, I think of someone who is confident and responsible and caring and will be honest and own up to things, be a hundred percent authentic in the face of anyone who like, I picture someone standing their ground. And I am not saying that these are not feminine traits because I had a mom who was all of these things, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying we've, it seems like we focus way too much on like, oh, I don't know if a man would paint their nails. And it's like, well, don't you think that a man is confident and vulnerable and authentic and unwavering in the face of any sort of opposition around choices that he wants to make that's expressing himself? So wouldn't that mean that a man would paint his nails if he wanted to? Like we just yes. need to think about it differently. 
Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're fully owning the fact that you are doing something, that's what I find really fascinating is that a lot of men talk about, you know, it's, it's about growing, it's about being who you are at all times, but only if it fits the description that I say mm. of masculinity, not the description that you say of masculinity. You know, if I am a man and I own the fact that I'm wearing nail polish, but really, so the, therefore it is not the fact or the the response of owning myself that is masculine, it is what I do with that owning of myself. So there, that just creates another rule that I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because you just said the owning of yourself is what's masculine, yeah. not the actual action I do with that. Bro, the the most the most masculine people I can think of in terms of personality traits are just people who choose to be unwavering in their pursuit of who they actually are. So yeah. when people make compromises to placate other people they they want to water down parts of themselves and i'm not talking about like uh actually working with someone and making compromises and concessions to arrive at a solution like that's negotiation that's something separate but what i'm talking about is um if you if something about you doesn't fit a mold and it is not harmful to anyone in any way. It is just something that is personally expressive. If that person chooses to engage in that anyway, so if someone's like, you know what? A lot of my friends made fun of me for doing theater, but I'm going to do theater because it's something I'm really passionate about. That's a man to me, is the person who chooses to manually override public judgment for the sake of the pursuit of who they actually are. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the biggest ones that I've, that I faced a lot was um, the fact that when, you know, in university, when I went out for to clubs and my end goal wasn't to get a girl home with me, mm-hmm. like that, I just wanted to enjoy my time with my friends. And they're it, like, that's why I hated going with guys is because a lot of the times you wouldn't be hanging out with them. You, they'd just be working to get this girl yeah. the entire night. And I'm like, well, what are we here for? If, if that, that's not my end goal, then I just, I just won't go. So I went more with my girlfriends who didn't care about, getting taken their goal was not to get taken home they just wanted to dance and have fun i'm like that's more what i'm here for too um <laughs> that was a, that was a really common one that i faced in university i'm like that, that's just not my end goal here man like yeah. i don't know and if it makes no sense to me for seven guys to go together only just split up and then work three hours to get turned down or, or potentially <laughs> succeed but most of the time turned down yeah i've never been like i've never been the clubbing type or going out and trying to meet girls. Like I think that's something that I've neglected to bring up is my dating history has been fairly meager. I've dated a handful of girls and each girl I dated like consistently. I've never been like a one night stand kind of person or trying to hook up. Um, And a lot of my friends are like literally growing up. People referred to me as gay my entire like pretty much my entire life, even until now, because I don't really hook up with girls. And it's like, even my family has assumed that I was gay because there would be these periods in which I would be single for a while. And then I would date a girl Mm. for a while. And then, and they're like, well, you're not bringing any girls home or you're not, you know, it doesn't seem like you're hanging out with any girls or the girls that you do hang out with are your friends and it's platonic and only gay guys can have platonic relationships with girls. And I'm like, how did we get to this point as a culture yeah. where like a straight guy cannot be friends with a straight girl? 
I don't know, but I can tell you that I'm 24 years old, been on lots of dates, never had a girlfriend, um, done the hookup thing, not a fan, don't didn't do it again. Um, it just made me feel like super empty. And I feel like a lot of guys would tell you if you actually like got to the why of it, mm-hmm. it's a lack of confidence thing or it helps them get their confidence that they sleep with all these girls. And to me, I just never needed that to to prove it. Like I have my own faults in other ways. Um, but yeah, like the whole hookup thing, I, I did it out of loneliness. It was a response to me feeling lonely. It wasn't a response to me feeling like I needed to prove anything Mm. other than to myself. Like I didn't have to prove it to other guys that I could get a girl. It was to prove it to myself. But even though I did, I proved it to myself, I, I reflected and I'm like, this is just purely out of my own loneliness, not because I actually wanted to do it. And I have girls, a lot of girlfriends that I am platonic with too. And I enjoy those relationships and those friendships. Um, but yeah, like I, I, sometimes I do take it on myself that because I haven't been with a girl or like I had a girlfriend, I, it does question my masculinity, but then I'm like, no, Luke, don't go there. You do all this work on, on purpose. Like just don't go there. You have to train that out of you. Dude. I mean, picture it like this picture. You go to a, um, you go to a party and there's like a platter out and all they have is uh meat and vegetables and you look at the meat and just the meat's been maybe it's been out for a while or it doesn't look too appetizing or there's not a lot of pieces left by the time you get there and then the veggie tray is full so you start eating some veggies and someone's like oh are you vegan and you're like no i just i haven't eaten any of the meat yet because the the stuff that's out doesn't really look like too appetizing and there's not a lot left and you explain to them and they're like it's okay if you're vegan like you can tell me and it's like i'm just eating carrots right now like relax yeah. it's it's so interesting how it, do, it does not compute for some people no it it really doesn't and that's a great analogy of like I, i've had people that have thought maybe i'm gay or you know questioned my straightness or mm-hmm. um and i'm just like no just because i haven't done it doesn't mean one that i don't want to it's just i am patient and i would rather wait for the right person than continue to do these empty things that i that i think are empty and i would say are a huge problem in men because i'd i'd argue that a lot of men don't want to hook up they want a partner and they can't be emotionally vulnerable enough to say to a girl that they like that they like them because they they just try to sleep with them and they're like i really want this girl but now that we've hooked up it it creates a lot of things so they just never tell this girl and they're never emotionally vulnerable enough to say i want to build something with you and i think i think building off of a hookup has has its own problems um but once you get there it's really hard to to separate and and unless you're mature and honest and vulnerable and and a lot of young men and young women have that problem dude think about so the thing i said earlier about how i was playing sports for years cuz i just wanted to like it i was trying to convince myself and my family and my friends that i actually liked it how i think you know when i look at like hookup culture and i look at like bars and going out and drinking and all these people who try to fit molds and not just around hooking up and drinking, but I mean, across the board, all of the guys who are trying to get traditionally masculine jobs, like, well, you know, I wanted to be 
an interior designer for a real estate firm, but all the interior designers there are women. So I'll probably just start doing property management at the real estate firm. And, and all these guys are settling because they try to do the thing that they wish they liked. And I think mm-hmm. most guys right now are doing, I'm sure I'm doing something like this too, where we're actively engaging in and pursuing something that we're not really passionate about, that we don't actually like because we are trying to, like when people say beer is an acquired taste, I think, why would you try to like beer? If you try it and you don't like it, then you don't like beer. Why would you go through the trouble of trying to like something that you don't like? And I look at like what you said, there are people now who, if you really sat them down, and encourage them to tell the truth and be 100% honest. They would say, I don't like half the stuff I'm doing with my life right now. And it's because I want my dad to be proud of me. I want my friends to accept me. I want to feel like I'm culturally relevant. I want to feel like a contender. And those people, if they live their whole life like that, they only, let's say they live 90 years, they only got to live 45. They only Mm -hmm. got to live half their life because the other half was for somebody else. Yeah. And it's, and I love what you said. Like, yeah, it's acquired taste. Why work at something that you don't like in the first place? <laughs> and that is so true. Whenever people tell me it's an acquired taste, I, I just laugh. You know, just how they say, um, you know, there's people that are really pro psychedelics, and I'm like, that, you know, if that's your route, go for it. But they try to push that onto other mm-hmm. people, and I'm like, listen, I don't want to try psychedelics. I'm happy it worked out for you. Um, and they like, they're like, yeah, your first two, three experiences might be really bad. I'm like, why would I want to put myself through that in the first place just to get to the point yeah. of maybe I'm there when I know that the potential of psychedelics can do in, in, in your brain are not a positive benefit at all. Dude, it is just, you know, I look at metal. I, I consider metal an acquired taste in some respects, but also I never tried to like metal. I like liked it. It was something when I first heard metal, I was like, freaking, what is this? Oh, my mm. word. And I, I sort of fell into it, fell in love with it. And I consider, you know, I could like country if I forced myself over years to pretend to like it. And even then, I would only like country one one millionth as much as I actually like metal without even trying. So it's yeah. in, in many ways with stuff like this, it's the path of least resistance. What do you like? Look into that. Yes. Country music. I'm happy you brought it up. I don't like it. Sorry to all the <laughs> listeners out there who like it. It is uh, just not my, my cup of tea. And it's not most, a lot, it's not a lot of people's cup of tea. And, and you know, when I think about even, people that get into relationships early and they try to take off on these passions and pursuits of other people. Um, or, you know, I know a lot of guys that, and I'm, I don't know if I'm guilty of it. I can't think about it, uh, too much right now, but you know, when you're in that early stage of talking to a girl and, uh, they say, Oh, I, I watched the show gray and Anat- gray's anatomy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I'll start watching a few episodes just so that we have some talking points to go over. And then, you're just wasting all that time when you could just rather talk about a shared experience that you do enjoy and listen to them about what they actually enjoy about Grey's Anatomy. You don't have to do everything that your partner or the person you're talking to does to impress them. Dude, I have to bring this up before we hop off. I have a buddy, uh, Zach. He was my first friend that I ever had in my life. I met him uh, in grade school. And 
he so his I don't want to give away too many details, but his dad owns a firearm company and his dad wanted him to inherit the company. And uh, he worked at the company for many years and was like helping. And eventually he was like, I really want to be a nurse. That's just where my passion has always been. I've always wanted to be a nurse. And uh, his dad was kind of like blindsided by the idea that his son, you know, you're not going to inherit a gun manufacturing company. And my buddy's like, heck no. What are you talking about? I've never, you know, I think guns are cool and I've learned a lot about guns working at your factory, but no, I don't want to do, I I don't want to work in gun manufacturing for my whole life. I've, I've wanted to be a nurse for a long time and it took a lot for him to actually do that, especially when his sister is still working at the gun company. So it's, Mm. it was like the ultimate uh, masculinity challenge of him being like, well, do you want to leave a traditionally masculine role for a traditionally feminine role while your sister who is a female assumes the traditionally masculine role in your place and I, I had talked to him about it at length, and I'm so incredibly proud of him for mm. choosing to do what he wanted to do. And what he's doing is more complicated. It's more expensive. He, it's, he doesn't have a foot in the door. He has to go to school. And, you know, he's assuming all of this, a, a lot of responsibility and work to go against the grain. And I look at that as being the mark of a true man. You don't always do what is easiest. You do what you know is authentic to you. And that just points out like another ironic thing is that the, the very rarely does the dad want to pass that, you know, legacy off to the daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of men want sons that can pass that legacy off to the, the, the son. And that legacy somehow isn't transferable to a, a female or a daughter. That's mind blowing. We, even when people say like, Oh, I want the family name to continue down through through a son and my daughter can't carry the family name. It's like, bro, what are you talking? Like, I, I guess I understand in terms of literally having a last name, but your daughter's still your daughter. Yeah. She's still passing on the same genes, like the yeah. same amount of genes. Hopefully. I don't know. Like I, I, all, I do want a son and I do, but I question sometimes why I want that son. Is it about, you know, the passing off of a legacy or is it, just the fact that I want to be able to do guy stuff with him. Like there's there, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to think that selfishly about it sometimes, but you know, at the same time, I would be very happy if I had two daughters or one daughter or three daughters, it would just be a different beast and a different challenge. I definitely think it would be difficult to, uh, just because of how I, this is a generalization, but I feel like men know fairly little about women. And, um, as a whole, it would be, I think it would be challenging to help for me to help a daughter navigate when I'm like, listen, I don't even understand like 99% of what you're going through. But if I have a son, I'm like, bro, I totally get it. I was doing exactly that. Totally avoid this mistake. But for a girl, I'd be like, can you please consult your mother about this? Or else I'm going to have to call my mom to ask her what she did. Yeah. It's like, I don't even understand your mother. How do you expect me to understand you? I definitely wanted to ask you some stereotypes about men and mental health before, before we wrap oh, up. Yeah. And 
you know, we talked a lot about how hard it is to us to open up to each other about things that we feel. I mean, mental health definitely comes into that. And I've seen a lot of men not be able to open up about men- mental health. And even myself, like I, it's much easier for me to open up to the women in my life sometimes than the men when it comes to loneliness. Yeah, we, I always, um, so I've been running coconuts for three years, which doesn't sound like a long time, but I've also been volunteering in the mental health space for, I don't know, 10 years or something. So I've been very involved in peer support and public advocacy. And I swear to you, dude, probably 95% of meetings that I sit down with in, and it's like a group or a committee or something. I am the only guy in the room. Almost mm. always, this is the case. Every time I have a meeting with someone, it is a woman, the the national director of this or the the advocacy coordinator for that. And it's all these women working in mental health, which I love, I think is super crucial. All of these women are in leadership positions, which they, a lot of um, my colleagues have confided in me that it is difficult for women to achieve leadership positions in other fields because there's lots of male competition. There's lots of um, unfair hiring practices, but they've said to me like, all of the people I was up against for this role were women because there's so few men working in the mental health field, especially in advocacy and support. Um, And I have always been saddened by that. Like right now it's November and there's that uh, Movember uh, initiative with the mustache. I'm trying to grow a mustache. Yeah. yeah. And (laughs) I think, you know, if you look at any of the statistics around uh, male completion of suicide um, and male attempts of suicide and male um, rates of undiagnosed mental illness, um, all of these male overdose, like you just go down the list and what you start to see is a trend of men choosing to not share with the people around them. And I think that a huge part of it is that we've created a culture where, you know, the big girls don't cry phrase. Mm-hmm. We've created a, a culture where it's men don't talk about their feelings. You're not supposed to. Man is supposed to keep a stiff upper lip and, and steer the ship. And I just look at that and I think, so we're basically, uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but basically if you make something too rigid, it will break. You have to make things a little bit flexible so that it can bend every once in a while in certain places so that it doesn't break. But we've made the boundaries of masculinity so rigid that even in a year like this year, if you look at the stress and pressure that people are under and the fact that a lot of men's identity have been conflated with their ability to provide financially and their career. And I fall into that a lot. I think, you know, I'm only worth my career like whatever i can accomplish Mm. in my career is my only value and that's a very traditionally male problem so if you have a bunch of people losing their jobs or taking pay cuts or their careers being compromised those same men whose identity is associated with their ability to provide are also held to the standard that they shouldn't really open their mouths when they don't feel right Mm -hmm. so now i don't know i don't want to rant too much about it but I a big reason why I love doing advocacy is because I've never once spoken at an event or a conference or anything and not had a line of guys come up and say, you know, I always hear my wife talk about her feelings and my sister talk about her feelings and I never really share. Like it's 
important for men to show other men that when you share about your feelings and what you're going through, there's not an immediate repercussion. You don't, you don't get your man card revoked, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, it's one of the biggest challenges that I see amongst a lot of men. And, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with one of my neighbors last night about how many men from the age of like 50 to 65 commit suicide because they're lonelier than they've ever been. And if they are in a divorce or in a, like they, they lose a lot of that and they don't have a male support system around them that they can confide in a lot of times. And, and that's why middle-aged men are typically the ones that are at most at risk of that behavior. Um, and we normally, because we're men, take more violent approaches to suicide as well, I believe. Like most of the time it's with a gun. Um, fortunately in Canada, there's less guns. So I think we that might contribute a little bit less to, um, to why there's less... Uh, or suicides by by gun up here, but we we typically take a more violent route to it, uh, which is why I believe the the ratio of women commit or women attempt more, but men succeed more mm -hmm. when it comes to. I don't even want to call it succeeding. Really, it seems like a complete, a dark word yeah, when it comes, yeah, complete. Um, when it comes to suicide, and a, a lot of men start this journey too late. I would say too, so they they start it too late and they don't start it at all. Um, but as you kind of talk about on uh you've you've mentioned throughout this this podcast and i know just a little bit more about the work that you've done it's a long process to to this healing journey so like what what would you say to men that are going through that right now uh in terms of loneliness or depression or, or mental mental illness um i would say that you so this is i hope this comes off right um while you are special and unique, you are not the first man to experience depression and loneliness and isolation and frustration and fear and anxiety and guilt. Like you are one of a series of multitudes, generation after generation of men who have experienced this. However, you are uniquely poised to be maybe one of the first men in your lineage to face that because for generations, you, you, our ancestors have buried these feelings and it has not boded well for them. So I'm looking at men right now and I'm saying, what you are feeling is real or else you wouldn't be feeling it. You're not inventing it. It's not something that you just, it, I don't like the phrase, it's all in your head. Of course, it's all in your head. Um, that's the problem. And yeah. I, I just don't want anyone, any man listening, I don't want you to discount what you are feeling or to write it off or to say that it's not a big deal or it's not as important as someone else's struggle. What you are experiencing is just as real as the experiences of all the men who came before you and all the men who will come after. The challenge to you is will you face that head on like a man, quote unquote, a man would? We face problems. We look directly at the problem. We break it down. We think critically about it. We talk with other people to get their input. And this is, you have to approach your mental health the same way you would approach anything else in the world. I heard a, a friend say it best, time, attention, and money. Mental health is not a magical problem. It's solved the same way every other problem is, with time, attention, and money. If you try if you focus on this and prioritize it, things will get better. The real key there is if, 
if you choose to focus on it. And you can't choose to focus on it until these feelings feel real and valid to you. So I'm here to tell you that what you are feeling is real. You didn't invent it. It's real. So now what you do with it is up to you. That I love how you said it. You know, you're not the first one to have it, but you might be the first one to face it. That is very, very true. And I, I absolutely love that quote. And and I liked how you twisted like a man to being, yeah, fix this problem that is traditionally you don't want to face because you're supposed to be a man, fix it like a man would. Yeah. And that, I mean, I can see your ad agency background coming at you with that line. <laughs> um, and now I'm now I'm motivated to start like, a, a, I think there was a few years ago where they did like a girl as a, as a, as a huge marketing campaign. I'm like, we should do like a man mm. where it's face your mental health, like a man, you know, go into theater like a man. And yeah, um, now I'm kind of motivated to to twist that on itself and 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 challenge the way that men typically think about masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but Johnny, thank you so much for being here. In the last, what I what I always like to do in the last minute is give you a a, a chance to promote yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people support the work that you're doing? And uh, and then we can wrap it up. Yeah, buddy. So. Uh, yeah, if you go to copenotes.com, you can find all the information. We have the podcast on there. We have, uh, subscriptions for you, for your friends and family members, um, for your school or workplace or insurance company or whoever we work with all sorts of people. So I encourage you to go check that out, whether or not you are living with a diagnosis. Um, I am in a band called prison. We're on Spotify and Apple music and, and anywhere YouTube, anywhere you find music. And, uh, for me, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Facebook. My Instagram handle is at Johnny Crowder loves you because I do. Um, there's also a contact form on the cope notes website. So if you have something that really needs to get straight through to me, you can fill that out. But the really ultimately all I want people to do right now is just to go do something different. So you already know what you've tried and hasn't worked after this podcast. The moment this episode ends and you complete listening to it go make a change in your life do something that's beautiful and i'm going to make an affiliate link uh for cope notes so make sure to enter that uh it's probably going to be something slash backslash the imperfect pod i'll let you know when that actually gets created um and i'll include it in the show notes below um but johnny what would get that get them uh so we just actually changed our affiliate program, which is cool. So they would get 10% off no matter what subscription they choose. So whether you're buying one for yourself or your friend or family member or whatever, um, it's 10% off the top and that's 10% off for life. So it's not 10% off the first month or anything. It's 10% off forever. Beautiful. So everyone, once I get that confirmed, I'll include it in the show notes below um, and probably edit this episode to make sure that it's included correctly. Um, But Johnny, thank you so much for being here, opening up, sharing your journey, um, having these conversations. I know it's not easy and I value you, appreciate you and love your sneaker collection. Thank you, brother. (laughs) You make it easy. Uh, that is my entire goal with with this thing. So I appreciate that. And I always want to make it safe and easy to, to open up and be vulnerable. So thank you very much.
Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of The Imperfect Pod. If you would like to find out more about today's guest, you can connect with him on LinkedIn at Johnny Crowder, on Instagram at Johnny Crowder Loves You, and on Facebook at Johnny Crowder, or visit his website, copenotes.com. His TED Talk, again, is also linked below, and if you are interested in trying out Copenotes, you can use uh, the link in the description below and use the code IMPERFECT, uh, all lowercases, for 10% off of any subscription for life. Uh, Code imperfect, all lowercase, as a reminder. As always, links in the description below. If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world to me if you press the follow button, subscribe button, or left a review. And if you would like to discuss today's topic with me, please feel free to message me on Instagram at theimperfectpod or email me at luke at theimperfectpod.com to connect further.